about half of them positive and the majority of them negative. So in the next six statements, Jesus was showing them what had happened to the law of Moses as a result of the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, today we're just going to look at the first three. And these statements begin in, in verse 21, verse 27, and verse 31. Um, and mainly because they, they deal and they show us where the principal issue is that the problem is at, and that's, that's a problem of the heart. That's where, that's where we have, all of us, we have uh, a problem. So in verse 21, it says, you, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. Jesus finishes talking about the scribes and the Pharisees and, and pointing out the way people saw them and immediately goes on to the, this uh, next six sections, all starting with the phrase, as I mentioned before, you have heard. And in doing that, he point, he's pointing out how these religious leaders interpreted the law. And again, notice that he didn't say you have, you have read in the law that it says. He doesn't say that. He says you have heard. Every one of you guys here, I assume, today, you have your Bible on your lap, either in written form or electronic form. We have it right here in front of us. And it's, and it's in English. Some of you guys might have it in Spanish or in another language. You just like to you know, hear in English and read it in your own language, which um, that's a great thing if you can do that. What would happen if copies of the Bible were not made available to you and even if they were made available to you, they were not in a language that you understood or a language that you did not know. Um, that, again, as I mentioned before, is a problem that they had. After their seven years of captivity, they come back from Babylon. And except for those who were trained in the scriptures, the rest of the common people didn't know how to read or write Hebrew. And, and then things were not available. To, I mean, we go home and there's several Bibles in our home. You know, we have one by the bed, there's one in the living room, there's one in the bookshelf, there's one in the car, there's one in the trunk. Which, that's a scary thing. We have no excuse. So, the only way for, for you then to know what the Word of God said was from the interpretation given to you of the law by, by those who read it in the synagogue and taught it in the synagogue. Um, and that interpretation was prone to misinterpretation or misrepresentation. Uh, therefore, your, your understanding of the law will be based on what you were told and not what you knew yourself or what you understood. It was actually the Christians that played a more active role in looking into the scriptures themselves in order to know for themselves what was being taught. We go to Acts chapter 17, verse 11. It says, these were more uh, fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. And those were the Bereans and were always encouraged, you know, to be good Bereans. No matter who says what, you go back to the scriptures and find out, okay, is this what is teaching in context? Uh, The same thing happened later. Come to the to the Reformation, when, when copies of the Bible were made available to people in their language. Before that, you had to you sit in Mass, and it was read to you, and it was usually in Latin, unless you were educated or you were the priest given it. You didn't know what it was being said. I remember sit, sitting in, 
in, in Catholic Mass in South America as he was going out in Latin. I was a kid, and I really didn't care much anyways, but I remember thinking, it was very special. And, and it's, very, it's very convenient, too, if, if, if you need to control masses and, and redirect people. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that's why it's, it's so important for you and I, as Christians, that we spend time in the Word of God. And I am, you know this. I mean, if you hang around here long enough, you, you'll hear that over and over again. But that we spend time in the Word of God more than in any other book, more than any other activity. Think of how much time you spend doing a specific activity or, or whatever compared to how much time we spend in God's Word. And it's, it's, we get convicted. Like, oh, man. And it's not like we don't have the time. Because the moment you turn the computer on and go on Instagram and Facebook, five hours of your life go away. And then you turn the TV and another three hours of your life go away. And that's just changing channels until you find something you want to watch. You know, and it, it is kind of comical in, in a sad sort of way that we can go to the movies and sit through two-plus hours without getting up to use the restroom or hold it for as long as we can because we don't want to miss anything. But we won't hesitate to get up from a Bible study and, and to use the restroom or, or to go get some water or to answer a phone call and... Some of you might prove that point tonight. Or might prove me wrong. It's like, I'm going to prove him wrong now. I'm going to hold it. I'm just going to stay here. Be in the Word. Read it. Study it. You and I get to allow the God of the universe to speak to us through His Word. I've told this story before. I used to work with... uh, a co-worker that I had a long time ago, and, and he started asking questions, and he noticed that I had my Bible and that I don't, I don't take notes. I'm terrible at taking notes, but I'll, re, I'll write on my margin. If I'm reading and, and, and I understand something, the Lord speaks to me. Sometimes, I don't know if the Lord's speaking to me, or I'm just like, oh, yeah. And so I write all over my margin, and he realized that. And he was kind of religious, and he realized, I was like, you write on your Bible. Said, Can you do that? I, you know. I go, yeah. He goes, why? I go, well, if... If this is the word of God and God wants me to understand it, and when I'm reading it, he deals with my heart, I want to write it down. If God's speaking, I want to take notes. Now, maybe you say, well, then you should probably have some notes. And, well, um, I I lose notes. So I just write them on my Bible. Um, It's a lot harder to lose. Now, I said earlier that Jesus was interpreting the scriptures to to the listeners correctly because what they had heard from the Pharisees was not... That correct interpretation. It was there was all that tradition coming in and all this other stuff. So, how is it then when they say you shall not murder and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment? And Jesus is quoting, you know, what they were saying. How is this incorrect? How it is you shall not murder and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment? An uh, an accurate rendering of the law. If you go to Exodus chapter twenty, in verse thirteen. That's where the Ten Commandments are. It says, you shall not murder. 
That's it. doesn't say anything else. You shall not murder. There's nothing else after that. Now, some would say, well, it could be contained in, in Numbers chapter 35, verse 30. If you go there, it says, whoever kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the testimony of witnesses. But one witness is not sufficient testimony against the person for the death penalty. Moreover, you shall take no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. So when you look at, at the word for judgment here in Matthew and what it meant, that it meant judgment, but it also, it also spoke of, of the college of judges, the tribunal of, of seven men in, in, in Palestine, separate from the Sanhedrin. So they had created a problem. It was not so much that they had added to the commandment, but they had actually taken away from it. They made it so that it was just a judicial problem now, that it was just a legal problem with legal consequences. So if you, if you murder someone, if you go and actually kill someone, you will be in danger of having the law come down on you full force. What they did is they took God out of the equation. It was no longer a moral sin issue. It was a legal issue. Something that happens in society even today a lot. And, and, and to a point that works. We need laws. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying, hey, you go out there and just break all the laws because they're not going to work. It, it works. You know, it keeps people from doing some dumb stuff. But it doesn't solve the problem. Because the problem is, goes beyond that. And you know what it did for the religious leaders of the time? It made it possible for them to keep the law. They were not able to keep the letter of the law. The restrictions. They were able to do exactly what it said. Why do we have laws? So that we can keep them and feel good about ourselves? No. We have laws because we're lawbreakers. But we, we like order. Some of us more than others. We like lists. Lists are good. It helps us to... to keep tabs and then if we follow the list we feel good about ourselves because we can just like I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this too I'll do this tomorrow as long as we're keeping that list we think we're doing okay now again there's nothing wrong with being organized and having lists some of you guys are great at that I get lists once a week things I need to do but when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to our relationship with God, we, we run the risk of becoming the one who determines righteousness and morality according to my list. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all these things. Look, boom, 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 I'm keeping all this. And when it's not convenient, we change the list. Well, I'm just going to fix this one here. Or worse, we make changes by redefining things like murder. Well, it's not murder. And so now we keep, we're able to commit murder as in the safety of a mother's womb because it's, now it's a choice. It's not murder anymore. And we change the meaning of things. And you look at this world where we live in, and it's always trying to pass more laws in order to attain peace and safety and freedom, you know. 
But mere laws are not going to do the tree. They're not, they're not going to take care of it. Laws are great, keeps things in check, but it's not going to solve the problem. Because the problem goes deeper than the written code. And, and, and that's, what Jesus, Jesus, that's the point that Jesus is trying to make here. So the Pharisees tell you this one thing, but it says in verse 22, But I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, not me, Whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. When he says, but I say to you, there's, there is authority behind what he is saying. Because he himself is the one who gave law, the law to Moses. I'm, I'm telling you what this is. This is not just a, a teacher speaking. This is not just a man explaining the law like the scribes and the Pharisees would do. This is the Son of God presenting the truth of God. This is the Word, the Logos, giving us the Word. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, it says, And so it was when Jesus had ended, the end of the, the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus had ended these things, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And, and when it comes to the authority of the Word of God, nothing's changed. It's the same thing today. The, the, his Word today has the same authority in the lives of the believers, or, or it should have. It should. That is one of the things about being a Christian that, that makes it really simple. We have His Word. And His Word is powerful, and God uses it in the lives of these people. Hebrews 4.12, right? For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and, and merits, and, of, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's going on in someone's life, we know that we can point him to the Lord and take him to his word. It's like, hey, here's what it says, and God will use it. I, and what else are we going to give him? My wisdom? There is none. Well, I like to believe that not. there is some, but not really. Now, these guys are saying that as long as you don't just kill somebody, then you're not in danger of breaking the law. The truth is that if you're just angry, Jesus is saying if you have murderous thoughts towards someone, you're in danger of judgment. And he, again, he's using that word, you know, there's judgment because it means both that and the judges. So he corrects their interpretation of the law. And when he does that, even you and I are in trouble. Because we'll qualify there. How many of us have inflicted pain and harm on people in our hearts. We haven't actually done it, but you know, there's someone in the Or somebody says, Oh, have you talked to so and so? You know, you have this look like, I'm just not going to say anything because if I do, you'll know my heart. I mean, none of us, you know, it, it, no one knows or sees it. But we're walking around with hate and envy and murder in our hearts. And we're wanting to worship Jesus too while we're doing that. 
Jesus goes even further to illustrate what he's talking about. The rest of 22 says, And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. So Jesus goes from, from the, the emotion to, to the, you know, the thought of anger to the expression of this anger, this murderous thought. He's not even touching the actual physical murder. The word raka is an Aramaic word. It means empty-headed, blockhead. To today's standards, it's like, oh, yeah, well, I'll call you, and you call somebody else. It's like no big deal. It was, you, you're, you're, you're saying something. The council there, the word for council is actually the word Sanhedrin. It's, it's that great council at Jerusalem, and it consisted of, of 71 members, scribes, elders, prominent members of the high priestly family, and the high priest. And, and the Sanhedrin... The most important causes were brought before this tribunal um, inasmuch as the Roman rulers of Judea had left to it the power of trying such cases and also pronouncing death sentences, but with the limitation that a capital sentence was pronounced, they actually couldn't confirm it until, until a Roman procurator could do it, and, and then actually it would take place. And that's when you, when you look at the trial of Jesus, that's exactly what happened. They bring the accusation. They can't actually kill him. But when Pilate said, okay, you know what, we're going to do this, it happened. So there's a progression here. There's the murderer's thoughts, and you're in danger of judgment, and there's one level of the court. Then there's raka, which is you know, blockhead or tonto, and, and that's, that now you're in danger of the Sanhedrin. Well, you call one a fool, and that's the word moros, where we get the word moron from. And he goes, now you're in danger of hell, of everlasting punishment. And... The, the point that he's making is that there is consequences, not just to the act of murder, but everything that comes before that, to, to, the, to the, the thoughts that, go, that come out of our hearts and the things that come out. There is, there is consequences to that too. Even before, you know, we act on it. In Mark chapter 7, verse 20, Jesus says, And he said, What comes out of the man defiles a man. The word there for defilement means uncleanness, and, and that is before God. It, it affects our accessibility to worship. And keep that in mind as we look at verse 23 in a little bit. He continues in verse 21 of Mark says, For from within our heart, from within the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. It all starts in the heart. That's where our problem is. By the time I act on it, I've been long gone. I've, these things have already been working in my heart. And it's interesting that Jesus there puts... Murder in the same group with covetousness and pride and foolishness and sexual immorality. You might not be a murderer. I might not be a murderer, at least not to the law of the land. I haven't killed anyone. You might never, maybe, I don't know, maybe you have. But have we covet? Pride? Foolishness? I qualify. We're in the same company. And, and, you know, these things will keep us 
you keep us uh, walking humbly with our God. Because when we think that we got it going on, our flesh trips us up. We fall on our faces and we're reminded of what we're made of. Especially when we look at, at other people's sins and start making, it's like, ah, oh, you know, yeah. Hey, hey, be careful. Maybe you're not an adulterer. Maybe you're not a fornicator. Maybe, may, but we all qualify when it comes to foolishness, covetousness. Sin is sin. It starts in the heart, and it's against God first always. And sure, the consequences are going to be different on this side of heaven. You know, if I think about something or if I act upon something, you know, if I, if I think murderous thoughts or someone, I'm, I'm, the police are not going to show up in my house like, we're here to arrest you. We were thinking bad thoughts towards someone. But I'm sinning before God. It's still sin. What does sin do? Verse 23, John says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and judge, the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Surely I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Psalm chapter Psalm 66, sorry, verse 18 says, "If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear." See, for the for these religious leaders and, and the legalism that came with them, the act of worship to go into the temple and, and offering our sin and offering stuff would just cover a lot of issues. Someone had a problem. They, they would go to temple, worship God, offer the sacrifices, pay their dues, and and uh, take care of those things. We are in danger of doing that same thing sometimes. No, we come to church, we feel better about ourselves. We come to church for the right reasons, but sometimes we come to church and, you know, I'm good. I went to church today. Okay. Makes us feel more spiritual that, you know. But we can be just as legalistic as these guys were. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but it's really easy to come to church for all the wrong reasons. In Luke chapter 18, we have uh, two people that come before the Lord. In verse 10, it says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. He's got a list. This is not me. This guy over here. I fast twice a week. He keeps adding to his list. I give tithe of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that, I tell you rather than, I'm sorry, I tell you this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, and who humbles himself will be exalted. And, and, and that humbling of ourselves 
happened that day that we recognize our sin before God and, and ask for forgiveness. That's humbling. And then we, we walk humbly with God and we remember, hey, it's not me. It's, it's the Lord working in my life. It's him who saved me. It's, his, it's him who cleanses me. It's, it's him who empowers me and, and directs me. I'm bad news. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, Samuel was the new king of, of Israel. I mean, Saul was the new king of Israel, sorry. And uh, Samuel told me, no, I'm going to go. I come back. I need you to take care of the Amalekites. Just go and wipe them out. And Saul goes, and he doesn't. He just partially does it. So when Samuel comes back, he says, what you did? I did what you told me to do. Wiped out the Amalekites. All of them. All of them. But the king, he's right here. I got him right here. And we kept the sheep because, you know, people wanted them. Good stuff. There's partial obedience there. And Samuel, in 1 Samuel 15, 22, says, Then Samuel said to him, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than, than, than the fat of rams. It's not about all the doing and not doing and, and keep, keeping that list. It, it, is, it is that hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And, and, and that becomes in a reflection of the condition of my heart. Because if, if I base my Christianity, my Christian life on what I do and don't do, and then begin to compare myself with others... I, I, will, I will easily begin to pat myself on the back thinking I'm okay. But the Lord knows otherwise. And, and Jesus is making a point of, of the urgency too in which sin in my life needs to be taken care of. He's saying, you better off leaving God waiting as you're making your way to worship and go reconcile with your brother and take care of the sin issue. You just leave the, 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 the gift there and you go reconcile. You go take care of that. Now, that needs to happen at the same time. And though we seek forgiveness and reconciliation, you and I have only a responsibility and control of one, on our side of the issue. You can go and seek forgiveness or seek, seek reconciliation from someone and that person might not want to repent or might not want to forgive. Then, then it's between them and the Lord. You, we need to make sure that we check our hearts and make sure that there's no bitterness there and then go back and worship the Lord, but that needs to be taken care of. It's the heart that matters to God a lot more than, than our actions. Our actions are great, but what's going on in my heart? And again, that was the problem with the Pharisees and the scribes, and, and that could be a, an issue that we might have sometimes. They had taken God's law and made it about actions and not about what it was there for to show us that we fall short and that we are in need of a Savior. And so Jesus mentions first murder and, and quotes their interpretation and then reminds the listeners that it was not about just murdering someone but about the intents of the heart. And then in order to make even make it even clearer, Jesus uses another illustration by way of the seventh commandment. And in verse 27, it says, You have heard that it was said to those of all, You shall not commit adultery. 
And again, he's pointing to the teaching or interpretation of the law by the Pharisees and what they taught. And in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, it says, you shall not commit adultery. The idea, especially when you read the next verse, is that they were taken and it's just a mere, a mere prohibition of action, of the action of adultery. Um, and in doing so, they were able to say, hey, I'm keeping the law. I've never committed adultery. And when you look at, at the law in that way, it's easy to keep it. Again, rules are doable, right? Actually, one can keep rules, especially when it's just about action. We can look at the Ten Commandments and, and, and interactions. We can keep them. But when you get to the Tenth Commandment, chapter 20, verse 17, we have a problem. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor his anything that is your neighbor's, his iPhone, his Ferrari in the driveway. How do we prove covetousness? Can't. How do you know somebody's being covetous? Not until they actually do something about it and they take something from you or they tell you, hey, you know, I was looking at. Covetousness starts in the heart. It has little to do with action until we act upon it. That's why Paul in Revelation in Romans chapter 7, he said, he says, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. And it says that just messed him up. Because he's like, I can keep up, but covetousness. Jesus continued in verse 28, he says, But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman and lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I read this to a group of junior high school kids at a public school once, and they flipped out. Because they're like, well, we thought we were good. So if you ask us, have you committed adultery? No. Have you, have you committed fornication? No. And then you read this, you're like, oh, okay, yeah. They thought they were doing good. And, and guys, you know this because the Lord has checked you on this. You're at work and, and, and all of a sudden there is that person you're like, and God goes, uh-uh-uh-uh. Don't even say hi. And on the other side, there might be nothing going on. You're, she, she doesn't even know you exist. But in your heart, your heart starts going. Your mind starts working. Oh, you have this whole life constructed now. And ladies, this applies to you too. Because guys are dogs. But girls come a close second nowadays. We're there for lust. It, it, it translates as loss. It also translates as, as covetousness or covet. It's the same word that Paul uses in Romans 7, 7 while well, well, quoting the 10th commandment. It's not, it's not the action, the issue here. It's, it's, it's the heart. And, and you can take this and apply it to the rest of the commandments. You shall not have other gods. Is your heart devoted to anything or anyone else besides God? 
Is there anything or anyone in your life, be it person or possession, that takes priority in your heart before God? And we can, we can do that easily. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. I can do that. There's no statues in my house. Well, there's that garden gnome, but it doesn't count. That's worship. Where is your heart when it comes to worship? You shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Oh, well, see, you know, you know I, I got saved. I've been, I've been cussed once. None come out of your mouth. Or, or world change words, you know. Say, gosh darn it. And I'd rather people say that. But what are we saying? Well, you know, it's just nicer that way. Because I can't really say the other one. Cause, uh, not around my Christian friends, at least. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. A day dedicated to God. When we come to church, where is our heart when we come to church? And, 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 and it won't matter which day you think is the right day. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land. It all looks good in actions. And this is for those of you who are still living with mom or dad or both of them. You know, your actions seem, you seem obedient. Everything looks good on the outside. But what's going on through your head when you're taking out the trash after you've been told to take out the trash? I'll take out the trash. You're doing it. It's like that little girl on the plane who was jumping up and down. And she kept getting and jumping up and down. She was told to sit down. And finally, her dad says, you know, you need to sit down. Stop it. She goes, she sits down. She goes, I might be sitting down on the outside, but I'm still standing up on the inside. And that's us a lot of times with the Lord. We're just doing God sees our heart. Sin is more than doing or not doing. It's something within the heart of every man and woman that leads to sin. Again, we just read Mark 7.21, right? For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness. They're all plural, too. Wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. All these, all these things are the symptom of, of the disease that is called sin. And, and the, the problem is not the symptom, is, is the deceit itself, right? When a person is sick, we know it because of the symptoms, but we don't treat the symptoms. We treat the disease because the symptoms will not kill that person. The disease will. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin, singular, is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Corinthians 15.56 The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. John 1.29 The next day John saw Jesus coming toward us and again and said, Behold the Lamb of God who take away the sin of the world. How sinful is sin? 
verse 29, sees that Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that, that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Sin is something that perverts. It takes that which the Lord has given us and turns it into something perverted. It turns it into something that is totally against God. Verse 3 says, And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you than one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, before you go and do anything drastic, he's given us a picture of the gravity of sin. And that is so serious that even going to these extremes will be totally called for. You should. Last week, I don't know if you said on the news, a guy murdered his wife and his dog with a knife and then proceeded to pluck his eye out. That still did not solve his problem. I, I, I remember I, this came to mind. This guy just grabbed the knife and took his eye right out. And there's a picture of him in jail, minus one eye. And I don't know if this came to mind and figured, you know, I'm just going to pluck out that evil eye or whatever. But it didn't solve his problem. The police didn't just let him. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You plucked your eye out? Well, never mind then. Go ahead. And it didn't solve the problem here either, unless he repents. You and I need to understand what sins does and, and what it costs. If we don't, we will excuse it. And it will affect our lives as Christians in, the way, in, in, in a way that it doesn't glorify God. How do you think that your understanding of sin will affect your Christianity? How do you think that your understanding of sin will affect your, affect your witness, your holiness, the love of God? If... if we, we live in a world that is constantly dumbing down sins and evil. And they end up making excuses for it. I mean, if you watch the news, you, you, you see it. It's like, this is not a sin anymore. This is just a lifestyle. Or this is a choice. Or this is in just... That's where we live. Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Romans 5, 12, Therefore, just as through one man's sin enter the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sin. 1 Peter 3, 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And last... Romans 5, 6 to 8 says, For when we were so without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For a scarcely for a righteous man one will die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is serious about sin, and that might be an understatement. The thing is, what about you and me? You and I. How do we see sin? What, how do we understand sin? Jesus then gives us a third statement, verse 31. It says, Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife 
let him give her a, a certificate of divorce. Uh, the reference in the law is in, is in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 to 4. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and, ha- and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house when she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. If the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, the poor lady, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her as his wife, then her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. Now this was a provision to protect the woman. Especially living under a guy who will the son for no reason whatsoever says, ah, you know, unclean. Gives her divorce papers. It was also a warning to that man that he could not be able to marry her after the second husband died. She had been defiled. And, and, and this points to that, that she had been put away without a cause, without a just cause. And so the protection was first so that, that, so that these men would not take advantage of them. And, and Jesus makes it clear later in Matthew. And it says, you know, this is because of the hardness of the heart. Go, go to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19. In verse 1 it says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings, that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And it says, And a great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? You see, depending on what school of law you aligned yourself with at the time, some believe that you could divorce your wife for any reason, like she burned your food. She messed up the enchiladas and said, you're gone. Or... She became unclean in your eyes because you were walking down the street and you saw a girl that was prettier than her. So now she's unclean. Which, that's kind of convenient, I guess. I guess you would call that the, the school of law of cochinos. Because it's like, well, you know, this girl's pretty new. You're unclean. You're gone. Next. Others believe that only adultery will be a reason. That's the only reason. That would, in turn, would bring even greater consequences to one because if she did commit adultery, it was punishable with death. So, in verse 32, back to Matthew, keep your finger on Matthew 19, back to Matthew 5, it says, But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. And he clarifies that later in Matthew 19 again. But not before taking them to the beginning of God's design for marriage in Matthew 19.4. Does any answer and said to them, have you not read? <laughs> These guys are the ones who read. Haven't you? Do you read? Can you read? Okay, well, here it is. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? 
and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. That should have settled the issue. Did you read what it says in the Word? Did, let's go back to the beginning. Hey, look. But as Pastor X says, you know, uh, figures don't lie, but liars sure can figure. And in this case, they still wanted to make sure that they were okay by citing their interpretation of the law, which they had been keeping. Well, we're keeping the law. So in verse 7 it says, they said to him, why then... Did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and put her away? If that's the case, if there are one flesh and no man should separate them, then why did Moses give us a command to give her divorce papers? It's just like, hey, wait, 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 we're, we're on the right here. Jesus addresses the issue at the root of it. In verse 8 of Matthew 19, and he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, commanded, no, permitted you to divorce your wives. From the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, and he quotes what he's quoting here in verse 32, and I say to you, that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Saying adultery is the only scriptural allowance for divorce, but it's not a command. It's an allowance for divorce. It's not a command. So in, in reality, divorce is not the final thing. I mean, adultery is not the final thing. Sexual morality is not the final thing. God can restore a marriage even from that. If both the husband and the wives are willing to humble themselves and they got work. It might not be easy, but it's not impossible. He can, he can restore that. The problem is the heart. Every single one of us has a heart condition. All of us do. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then God answers us, I, the Lord, search the hearts. I test the minds. My heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And so is yours. And we have a heart condition that only Jesus can fix. There is no surgery for this one, except for removing that heart of stone and putting in a soft heart that yearns for the Lord. And, and those of us who have been walking with the Lord for some time, we're dangerous because we're very clever. We're very clever. We can convince ourselves of pretty much anything. And then use scripture to back it up. Because we've been around. We can make excuses really easily. We're just like the Pharisees were doing. They were doing exactly that. I, I can convince myself. I tell the kids, we, we, we are bad news because 
we can convince ourselves of the dumbest things. You see the videos of guy jumping off of things for no reason. What they convince themselves is a great idea. In their minds, it was just a great thing to do until they hit the floor. We're very clever, and, and that's you know that's I guess entertainment. But when it comes to our relationship with God, and when it comes to sin, and when it comes to compromise, now we, now we're now we got a problem. Where is your heart today? We need to take our heart and set it against the truth of the Word of God, under the guides of the Holy Spirit. Because if we don't, we will end up patting ourselves on the back, amazed of how awesome we are. We'll look at ourselves in the mirror and, and, and say, you know, God did a great thing when he saved me. Thank God that he loves us so much that he's not going to let us do that, you know, he'll... Allow us to just hit the wall a couple of times, but we continue in that way. We'll get ourselves in trouble. We are continually exhorted to examine our lives. And the standard is Jesus. And in that standard, we find it in his word. I'll close with, with Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says, keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it springs the issues of life. Where is your heart today? I don't know. The Lord shows me a lot. You know where my heart is. like, hey, what's going on here? <sighs> yes, Lord. Take care of that. Maybe, maybe you've been going through the motions. You know? It's, it's really easy to be a Christian at church. It's really easy to come. I mean, it's, especially I've been, I've been hanging around here for 20-some years. It's really easy to be a Christian because we're surrounded by, by some pretty cool believers. And they just make it easy. They encourage you. And, it's like, and you can just start going through the motions where you just come to church and do your thing. And nobody's, you know, everybody's like, and when they find out you tripped up, it's like, what? Who? But he's going through the motions checking that list maybe maybe it's it's maybe it's sin maybe there's sin in your life and you know that sin separating you from God and you need to repent but you know where your heart is at and God's been speaking to you where your heart is at today and and he wants to he wants to take care of that either because maybe there's just compromise or maybe just going through the motions and just playing church he wants to take care of that because he, he, he wants to make sure that your heart, it's fully surrendered to him. That there is, there is nothing else that gets in the way. Let me pray. Father God, Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you that you love us so much. That you are even concerned, not, not just on the things we do and don't do, but you go deeper than that. And, and, and through your spirit and your word, Lord, you work in our hearts and, and you deal with our hearts and you point out those things that, need to, that you need to work in. And Lord, I pray that as you do, we will humble ourselves and allow you to work, Lord. You know, you know exactly 
where we're at in our lives. We know exactly where we're at in our relationship with you. Or if, if there is no walk with you, Lord, you know that too. And maybe today you're here and, and, and you're in one of those two places. And, and God wants to work in your life. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He wants to take that heart of stone and that sin and forgive you and give you new life. And all you have to do is ask Him to forgive you of your sins, to give you a brand new heart, to fill you with His Holy Spirit. And it says the Bible says that if you do that, He will He will He will answer that. He will forgive your sins and He will give you a new life and He will fill you with His Spirit and then He will empower you to walk with Him. And if your heart's been compromising, then just humble yourself and repent and say, God, I'm not where I need to be. If, if that's you here today, just pray. Don't, don't leave the same way you came in. Don't allow your heart to get hardened. Don't continue to make excuses for yourself because we're good at that. And if you need any prayer, we'll be up here afterwards. My brother Perry's over here to the side. He'll pray with you. If you accepted the Lord, he'll give you a Bible. Just answer any questions you might have, and he'll send you home. Uh, you don't even have to come to church here. We want to make sure that you do go to church somewhere, that you get fed. But do not let this world and sin in your life and compromise to, to keep you from what God asks for you. Father, again, Lord, we thank you your love, your grace, your mercy upon our lives. We thank you that we belong to you. Lord, I pray that as we surrender our lives to you, our Lord and Savior, we would walk humbly before you, Lord. We love you, and we ask things in Jesus' name. Thank you, guys. Let's send up and close in prayer and worship. And if you have any questions, you need any prayer, I'll be out here for a little bit to the side. Perry's over here. If you accept the Lord, go talk to him. Thank you, guys.
bless you guys. Have a good week. The Lord keep you and bless you. And if you have any question, you have any prayer, we'll be up here. Thank you. God bless.